You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Good evening. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. And now, please welcome back for his fifth year in a row, Mr. Naughty and Mr. Nice himself, the very attractive Norm Lewis! Hello everyone, welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast. I'm Nella Vera, Director of Marketing. And I'm Adrian Carnani, Marketing Associate. Adrian and I are really excited to be teaming up with the Broadway Podcast Network to bring you straight into Broadway's living room for conversations with all your favorite artists. This is a very special time of the year for us. We're down in the club and it looks absolutely gorgeous. It's all decked out for the holidays. That's absolutely right. The holiday season is one of our busiest and best times of the year. Every December, our calendar is full to the brim with festive holiday shows, private events including corporate holiday parties, birthday celebrations, and so much more. You can always tell it's that time of the year when these beautiful pine bows and glitter and pine cones appear everywhere all over the club. It is truly stunning. And the programming also reflects that. So we have a lot of holiday shows coming up. If you want to check out our calendar and see what we have, it's 54below.com. We have Michael Feinstein doing his annual holiday show. This year it's called Home for the Holidays. We have Joe Iconis, 12th annual Christmas extravaganza with about 100 elves. And we have Annalie Ashford, who's going to ring in the new year on New Year's Eve. And we have an amazing guest. He joined us for our very first podcast. We are so lucky to have been joined by this incredible Broadway leading man. He is a Tony Award nominee who made his Broadway debut in The Who's Tommy in 1993, and since then he has gone on to an absolutely legendary career in the theater. His roles include leading parts in Les Miserables, The Little Mermaid, Porgy and Bess, Sweeney Todd, and the recent revival of Once on this Island. Just a few years ago in 2014, he made history as the first African-American to play the title role in The Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, starring opposite our dear friend, the incredible Sierra Boggess. And on December 17th, he's bringing his glorious baritone to Feinstein's 54 Below for his fifth annual holiday residency in his brand new show, Naughty and Nice. Hi, I'm Norm Lewis, and you are listening to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. Norm Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so excited that you're returning to the club. Um, This is your fifth year. 
of what we call your holiday residency. <laughs> Tell us about your show. What do you enjoy most about celebrating the holidays in this space? Well, this is my favorite time of year. And the thing about it is that um, uh, the, how we came upon actually doing Feinstein's 54 Below is we kept, I kept getting asked to come in and do a show, but we could never work out our schedule, neither 54 Below nor myself. And so somehow a slot opened up five years ago at Christmas time. And I said, okay, sure, let's do some Christmas music and then throw in some other stuff. And and it's just become the staple now for me. I don't even want to do <laughs> any other time of the year, but I love the atmosphere in the city. I love the songs that we choose, and we just make it a party. I don't call it a show or a concert or a cabaret. It is a party. So this year's show is called Naughty and Nice. Mm -hmm. um, so what was the inspiration for that title? And how did you go about curating the set list this year? Well, we have to come up with a different, and I don't even want to say a theme, but we have to come up with a different title every year. Because uh, basically, Feinstein's 54 Below wants at least some sort of title instead of just Norm Lewis Christmas show. So we try to think of some fun, cool thing that people will always remember. And Naughty and Nice kind of seemed to fit this year. And uh, as far as diving into the music that we, we cultivate is I do a lot of YouTube. I go down dark holes of YouTube all the time. Also, Richard J. Alexander and my musical director, Joseph Joubert. We come up with these jewels that we all just kind of bring in and listen to. Uh, I'll try it out on my voice and we'll see what happens. So what can audiences expect this year that is different from past years? Well, it's songs that you probably have never heard before. You know, something uh, written by uh, Marvin Gaye that was a Christmas song. There was one that was sung by Stevie Wonder, and now I'm forgetting who wrote it. But it's a beautiful song called uh, My Little Christmas Tree. So I'm going to bring in some uh, some surprises that way. And uh, hopefully I'm just going to open up people's minds when it comes to new music and bring back some old traditional ones that I've done before too. So I'm excited. So you've performed on stages across the world in full productions and in also intimate cabaret settings and in big concert halls. What do you think the key differences are in how you approach these different types of performances and what makes cabaret, particularly in a small space, so mm. special and different? Well, you feel the room. I mean, for one, like those big cavernous places. So when I got the chance to do uh, Les Miserables at the O2 Arena, you know, that was 20,000 people. So I knew, luckily, that we were going to have some screens up so people in the way back could see our faces and our emotions. But, but you, try to do, you try to keep the same sort of feel throughout each venue that you're in. And you just want to bring truth to whatever you're performing. I think that that's kind of it. You just feel the room and feel whatever energy you get. Now, as far as the smaller intimate spaces, I'm expecting people to, I can see their faces, but I'm also expecting people to like talk back or, you know, say something, or I can see the reaction and then I can comment on that or something like that. So I love being in the small, small spaces because it's, again, it has more of that party atmosphere as opposed to it being a full show. You're not af afraid of uh, being that close to your fans. No, and no. We have some artists who, you know, they would love to play at Fine Science 54 Below, mm. but they do not want to be that close to an audience. <laughs> um, I guess, I don't know if it's stage fright or if it's just not being able to perform. I mean, they're literally right there. Right. Well, I get it. I get it because usually, uh, you know, as, as actors, we are hiding behind a character a lot of times. And with Cabaret, you're giving a piece of yourself. Like you're, you're being very, very vulnerable and showing who you are as opposed to trying to create this character. 
But you get a lot of repeat customers at oh, yeah. Fine Science 54 Below. Gail. Oh, Gail. Comes to every show. My baby. She comes to every, <laughs> every show. She's an honorary member now of the Norm Lewis show. <laughs> I've seen your shows, obviously, many times, uh, the cabaret shows, and the audience goes wild whenever you sing what they think is yeah. a signature sh- song. <gasps> They're going wild in here now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you ever get tired of performing these numbers, like your iconic songs from your career? Phantom, no. Les Mis, Stars, you know. No, people have different experiences of who I am, and so most of those times have been something like Phantom or something like Les Miserables or whatever. So I try to give people that that experience. But then I also try to introduce them to newer things and know uh, that there's more to just you know that part of me. And hopefully they can go out leaving with uh, like, oh, I didn't know he had that in his arsenal. So Yeah, and discover some new songs. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like one for you, one for me. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Because I, I have to make it as interesting as possible for myself as well. Yeah. And my philosophy has been um, what uh, the Rat Pack would say. Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis, they all said, look, we're going to have fun up here on this stage. You can come along if you want, but we're going to have fun. So, And that's, that's been my philosophy. So one of my favorite performances of yours was Sweeney Todd, ah. uh, which you did opposite Carolee Carmelo um, at Barrow Street. Right. And I was there the night that Stephen Sondheim was in the audience. Oh. And we were directly in back of him, and he, was, he wasn't in the very front tables. He was in the, right. in the first section of actual seats, right. taking notes, mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. reading his crossword and then taking notes right. during the show. And I just wondered what... What's it like to perform? Well, first of all, what was it like to do Sweeney Todd? First question. And then what was it like to perform in front of him? Well, it was my third time going for that role. And I love the fact that I was in New York City at the time because the other two times have been in D.C. and also in Texas. So this was a chance to do it in my hometown. And also that production was just so innovative and I love what they did with that as far as the direction and just the artistic structure of it make it into a pie shop and the whole thing so that was fun and working with Carol Lee and the rest of the cast it was great delving into that that role again because you always find new stuff especially with Sondheim pieces you always find new nuances uh, within his music and his in his lyrics and stuff to do it in front of him it was it is nerve-wracking because it is this genius who has created this monster of a show. And it's one of those shows that I always say that any male musical theater performer would love to bite his teeth into. It's kind of like the Hamlet of musical theater, you know. But uh, Steven's been great. I, I've worked with him a couple of times on other, uh, other things. And he's been very supportive. And the notes that he's given have obviously, you know, I, I'm taking all of them because... It, it's written in his language. So you want to bring a little bit of who you are, but he knows what he wants, and uh, I, I trust that. What was your favorite part of that experience? What did you enjoy? I guess I love the immerse, uh, being so immersive and you know jumping on the tables and having a blade at someone's neck. And uh, there was a moment where we had to, I was killing Pirelli and I had to tell the people to move, you know, from a certain chair <laughs> and just the reaction, you know, cause you knew people were coming there for that experience. So they got into it and, and we as actors got into it. Uh, and what was interesting too, Carolee and I talked about this, how we had to actually relearn how to act because of the fact that we were so close. So we're staring at the audience members, but we're not, we're playing this game of stare 
but I'm not going to look away. And a lot of the audience members were very nervous and they would look away and they would, you know, they, they were very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but we wanted to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. And we used them as our thoughts. So I would look at you as one thought and then I would look at someone else as another thought. And it just, that helped us in approaching these characters. Yeah, I remember. I think I looked away from people because I thought, Am I, is this... Going to be distracting. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to mess with an actor doing their thing. That was what we were there for. I mean, that's literally, we had to, it, it was kind of a nice experiment for us as performers and relearning how to do uh, or portray a portray certain dialogue because we had to use the audience as part of our characters. And like I said, we decided to use each audience member as a different thought in our head. You've performed so many iconic roles in your career. When you look back, is there a role that you would like to revisit or maybe a role in a show that you were in that you didn't get to play? Mm, um, Well, love to do. I would like to possibly revisit Phantom. I would, uh, I would do that again. I had a great time with that. It was a dream role, and finally I got it. It was 20 years after seeing it for the first time. I would do that. Uh, I would also love to play, even though I've, already, I've played it, but it was a very short, <laughs> short stint this past year uh, at the Kennedy Center, uh, Harold Hill and Music Man. Now, I know this guy by the name of Hugh... Hugh, can someone help me out? Hugh, something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Jackson or something. Anyway, I know he's getting ready to do it, but maybe when he leaves, you know, (laughs) maybe they might consider me. I've always loved that that show. I've always loved that role. So hopefully, I can get a chance to revisit that. And a new one that has popped in my head, even though it was just here and they did a fantastic job, but I would have loved to have been considered for uh, My Fair Lady as Henry Higgins. So. Wonderful. Uh, maybe one of these days I can get it sure. at a regional theater somewhere. Or the next revival. Well, the next you revival, yeah. You never yeah. know. <laughs> you never know. Exactly. Those are great parts for you and parts that I think we'd all love to see you in. What yeah. is it about Harold Hill? Harold, is it the songs? or It's the, the songs. It's, uh, you know, the dialogue. I think it was the, the, f- the interesting thing about me. I, just, I could just play who I am. I'm, I'm, if I can say anything nice about Norm Lewis, <laughs> it would be self-indulgent. <laughs> I'm a very nice, kind, charming person. And I've gotten away with a lot because I am a very charming person. And that's exactly what Harold Hill is. He's a, um, he's a charmer. Now, he's a shyster, but he's a charmer. And, you know, it was interesting when we were doing it in Washington, we had an article, I think it was in the Washington Post, how closely related his, this character was to being such a great salesman to our president. And uh, some of the things that he's done since he's been in office. And it was really kind of an interesting parallel there. So I I would love to explore that again. I think that would be amazing. You made history as the first African-American phantom on Broadway. We know that the great Robert Guillaume played it on the road, I think. Yes, well, Um, he played it in uh, in, Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, that's right, that's right. But at the time, I remember reading the announcement that you were going to Phantom, and my first thought was, oh, my God, perfect casting, the voice, everything uh, about it. And then just second, my second thought was just to be quite surprised that it had been 28 years, mm-hmm. and this was the first actor of color playing the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, you know, wow. And it got a lot of press for you personally and for the show, which is good. And yeah. since then, they've had other actors in, in the lead roles. Mm-hmm. But it was just interesting to me to think, oh, 20 years have passed. And I know that it was the first of the mega musicals and it's 
probably a multi-billion dollar property. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful about the changes you make to it. You were amazing and you got to play it with Sierra Vargas. Who, in my opinion, is the best Christine that ever played this part. She's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. How, what was that like, and how, how did that come about? Well, it came about because I had always put it out in interviews like this, and I kept, you know, people would ask my dream role, and I said, well, blah, 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 and Phantom of the Opera, you know, and it just was one of those things where I said, I don't know if because of being the, the color that I am, if I would have a chance. I knew Robert Guillaume got it. He has the chops for it, but he was also Robert Guillaume. You know, he was someone who had a name. And I said, well, maybe one day if I become a name, if I become something, you know, someone famous. But I kept putting it out there. And then one day I was down in uh, Washington, D.C. again. I guess I need to move to D.C. It's always good luck for me. <laughs> but um, I was down there doing a seminar, and Renee Fleming put together this thing called American Voices. And she brought people from all genres to sing at a big concert, but also have workshops and things like that. And we were at a a forum where uh, there was a panel of people from directors, casting directors, musical directors, and actors. Sutton Foster and myself were on that panel. And they were asked us questions, and I got asked about playing uh, uh, my dream role and uh, being a minority in this industry and things like that. And I, you know, hint, hint, I said I would love to play the Phantom. And two people who hire for the, that company were on, on stage. So I kind of gave them a wink and a nod. No, didn't know what was going to happen. My friend Hugh Pernero was playing the Phantom at the time. He was not going to renew. He called me and said, I'm not going to renew, so maybe this is a chance. And they did call me in to audition. And I went to the audition, and I felt the souls of people who were still living and passed on. And I walked on that stage, and I sang the song, and I said, I just, I really just want it. I'm going to give them my all. And I gave them my all, and I got hired. And so that was great. Now, the best thing about it was... Not the fact that I was the first black or the first African-American to play the role, but afterwards I would see people who would come up to me who were from India, who were from Brazil, who were from China, saying, now I feel like I can play the role. So it's more, I mean, any of my colleagues who are of color could have been the first whatever. But I was glad to represent that, but it was great to hear those words after a show. And now hopefully there were more doors opened, you know. We have Ali Ewalt, who was the first Asian-American to play Christine. Uh, I think there was a, a young man who was uh, biracial who played uh, Raul recently. And uh, forgetting his name, I'm sorry if you're listening. And they have had an African-American to play the Phantom on the Road as well. So there's you know things that are, are moving along. And I'm just glad that I was a part of that history. Well, that, yeah, representation matters. Mm -hmm. Uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's great. I mean, we, we're seeing Broadway become more diverse mm -hmm. with show, the newer shows. And that's, I think it's affecting the older shows as well because right. they're seeing, oh, yeah, well, their audiences will come out uh, for all sorts of cast members right. um, from all walks of life. And, and I feel great. like if, if you have a show that's very universal, I think, that, you know, it doesn't matter who's playing the role. Now, if it's going to be you know, Big River, obviously, I can't play Huck Finn. There's, I mean, that's the, the story. <laughs> the story has to be a white guy, and then there's a black guy. So, right. you know, you have to make that true. But if it's universal, you know. And, and the Phantom. And the is Phantom. Who, you know. <laughs> and it was interesting. No, I'll tell you quick. I'm taking up all this time. No, but no. It, uh, there's a, an interesting story. I wish I could find this article. But there was a guy that came to see the show. He wrote a blog about it, and it was so interesting African-American man and his wife 
came to see the show. They they love the show a lot, and they love celebrating their uh, their anniversary. And they go see uh, Phantom of the Opera. So they didn't know I was in the show. So the way he wrote it, he said, instead of sitting back and enjoying the show, as soon as he saw my black hands come from underneath the cape, he rose up in his seat and he saw the show from a different perspective. So he saw the noose falling and he saw that as lynching. And he said that was a way of revenge for African-Americans being lynched over the years. When uh, he saw the mask and he saw the way that the, the um, and the wig and that uh, African-American people of color a lot of times have to wear masks through society to be accepted in life and that's the way that this phantom had to be to be accepted within society this it was all these little nuances that mm-hmm. it was really interesting that he saw f- from through a black man's lens as opposed to just you know and no one else saw it but he saw it and it was it was really interesting reading that article yeah yeah and it, yeah, with with like you said, with these universal characters, who knows what the Phantom's background is? It's never stated. Right. So what does it matter? Same thing with when you're playing a fish. Right. I mean, fish don't have races, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, and I mean, I know we're harping on this a lot, but like even when I play Javert, now I will say this: I was the first African American to play Javert on Broadway. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Groundbreaker. Groundbreaker. But uh, but people were kind of up in arms about that as well because that's so crazy but they don't know their history because uh, uh, Dumas was a general in Paris at that time and uh, someone black could have been a policeman in Paris in the 1800s so someone saying that just doesn't they don't know their history and they're just kind of going off of a broad statement yeah yeah it's just also I think shows limited imagination yeah because that, like, for, I always say to people, the most famous Swedish chef in the world is from Africa. Mm. He was adopted at birth mm-hmm. by two Swedish missionaries, Marcus Samuelson. He speaks with a Swedish accent. His grandmother is an old Swedish lady, and right. he copies her recipes. So I think it shows a lack of imagination right. when you don't assume that people can have families or be from different heritages. Once I, I fought with somebody once when I worked at the Shakespeare Theater in D.C. Mm-hmm. and we had um, a, a wonderful actress, Asian American actress playing Miranda, and there was a white Prospero, and this one couple in the lobby just were very offended by this casting, and they said, "Oh, well, he would never have, you know, a Japanese daughter." And I said, "Well, he could have adopted her, and he also, you don't know who the mother is. You never see the mother, right. so why are we worrying about this?" Yeah, in this is she story? saying the words right? Is she? Yeah, yeah is she acting the role. And, and in fact, it was a, a beautiful moment because Prospero has a line where he says, "You know, I love you. You're my daughter." And then he he does an aside where he says, "At least your mother told me so." Ah, and it, the entire audience just lost it. You know, it was funny right. and it was witty and. Um, but also, like, you just don't know the off-stage lives of the characters. So who knows, you know, who had what in their background. And it, and, it adds dynamics, you know. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. And so let's not get caught up in that. And I yeah. just always thought that it shows a limited imagination. Like, what world do you live in? You don't see children with parents who don't look like them. Right. You know, so it's, it's very interesting. Are there any non-singing roles that you'd like to try. Wow, that's a good one. I mean, there's so many plays out there that I would uh, love to delve into, but I also want to have a landscape of new material that uh, that and 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 help enrich a lot of these young 
playwrights, uh, young composers, young uh, lyricists to and try their their because they have stories as well. I mean, yeah. the Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, that was so just innovative. Uh, I loved what they did uh, with that show, and it wasn't based. I don't think it was based on a movie. You know, like nowadays, mm-hmm. a lot of these shows that are coming in are based on a movie, and the the hit that they made from that. So when you can think of something that is maybe just from a book or just maybe just imagined and they, they thought of a story, I would love to to jump into some of those things. Yeah, to yeah. originate a part, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, I would think that young musicians probably think they can't get Norm Lewis to be in their project. <laughs> Hi, Norm Lewis. Uh, I'm at the Catch Company. <laughs> Norm at the Catch Company dot com. So that's, if anyone's out there. So for your uh, upcoming cabaret show, mm-hmm. you working with Richard J. Alexander. Yes. So how did that collaboration come about? Well, he's the one that actually hired me years ago for my first lead in a show. Uh, I did Miss Saigon up in Toronto, and then I got to do it on Broadway. So he's responsible for kind of taking me out of the chorus, if you will, and uh, and seeing some some light there. And, and so we've been friends over the years, and... Um, a few years ago, back 2013, I think it was, he called and asked if I would be a part of uh, the Les Miserables that he was uh, uh, directing out at the St. Louis Muni. And uh, Hugh Pinero, again, my friend, he's like my brother, he was uh, someone who wanted me to be his Javert uh, in the show because he was playing Valjean. So Richard was directing. He called me up. He said, how would you, how would you like to do this? And then knowing his history in the world of uh, concerts, working with people like Bed Midler and Bernadette Peters and the illustrious, you know, Barbara Streisand, I said, I know that I'm not those names, but can you somehow, you know, help me out and just, uh, you know, help me with what I have? I, I had been doing a little bit of the concert world, and uh, I think I did one or two cabarets, but uh, he helped mold some things together, and he told me what he thinks would fit. And from that, we've just started to work together, and, and he likes me, I like him, and we're still together. So. Yeah, well, he's great. Yeah. I mean, the work that he does with, it's a special art to be able to work with one artist and yeah. help them shape a show versus, you know, a script. Yeah, he's know. so good at that. I mean, he just did Kristen Chenoweth's show on Broadway, and he just, he he asks you questions about your life and the kind of music that you grew up with and things like that. And then he knows your voice, so he says, I think this might fit your voice or, like, your style. Because even the song that's on my Christmas album, uh, Wink, Wink, Nod, Nod, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Why Couldn't It Be Christmas Every Day, that wouldn't have been a song that I would have picked for myself. But he said, I think that you could do this. And uh, we made it into, like, this old... Uh, style that uh, he said would fit me and uh, and it worked it worked I have fun singing that song so in the in past years you've had um, really fun guests is that the plan for this year yes, as well yes yes um, is your cousin my cousin's coming, coming back, back? Yes, yeah, he's yeah. amazing yeah he's Wonderful. great he's great did you grow up in a family uh, that sang a no, lot no I had no idea I could sing until I was 17 it was something that uh, I did in church, but no one ever said, oh, you have a nice voice. So I never really jumped into it. And then in high school, someone did hear me sing and said I had a nice voice. And so I kind of just kept going on that train. And uh, here I am now in New York City. Are there any exciting projects on the horizon you can tell us about? 
There's some exciting projects on the horizon. I can't talk about them. <laughs> uh, but I will say there is one that I can talk about a little bit. It's called DA. So it's in a slang term, but The Five Bloods. So The Five Bloods, uh, directed by Spike Lee. And I was uh, in Thailand for three months shooting that with Delroy Lindo, Isaiah Whitlock, Clark Peters, and uh, Chadwick Boseman. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so that I don't know the exact uh, date that it's going to be released, but it's on Netflix. And I think we're looking hopefully maybe late spring, early summer. That's just a guess. But the Five Bloods, uh, Spike Lee joint, as they say in the industry. And it's a Vietnam War film. And so we go back to get the remains of one of our fallen and try to give him a proper burial. And so we meet 40 some odd years later and uh, intrigue and plots to bring disaster come uh, within that. But it's funny. It's adventurous. Like I'm running up and down terrain, shooting guns and it's uh, it's really it's something different from what I've all, what I've done already. <laughs> wow, fantastic! Yeah. Well, we look forward to that. Well, thank you, Norm Lewis, for joining us today. Thank you. Um, where can people find you if they're looking to follow you on social media? Uh, you can go to um, the Norm Lewis at Instagram, uh, Norm Lewis seven 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 on Twitter, and then I'm on Facebook uh, as just plain old Norm Lewis. So, uh, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to be promoting along with uh, you, I guess, as well. The Fine Science 54 below. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about the 17th through the 22nd at 7 p.m. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.